Let us pray. O God, we are grateful indeed that we do have life and breath to sing your praise. And help us to do that as we gather here. Help us to praise you as we engage your word. Help us to praise you as we respond, seeking to serve you. Silence in us any voice but your own, that we may sense your presence and spirit again. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark, beginning at the 35th verse of the 10th chapter. Let us hear God's word. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand, or at my left, is not mine to grant. For it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Leadership and service. Our call to be servants and leaders Not whether we are called, but that we are called, and how we are called to be leaders and servants. Now, I know you've often heard that there's no such thing as a bad question, or the only bad question is the one that's not asked. And in general, that's true, especially if you're either a student or a teacher trying to learn, and not asking that question would stifle that effort. On the other hand, we get a version of a bad question this morning, offered up by Jesus' disciples, who so often stand in as our surrogates. Two disciples, two brothers, as we just heard, James and John, come to Jesus. Now, I often wonder how this all works. This group of 12, we presume a whole gathering, following along with them as well. Jesus' ever-growing community traveling from place to place and village to village, a kind of movable community. 
How did it work? Who was in the front of the pack or the middle or the back of the group? Were there cliques or clusters? Something was going on at least because these two, James and John, have been off to the side somewhere having some kind of sidebar conversation. And the result of that is they sidle up to Jesus. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, it's not unlike when a child asks a parent to do something. What, the parent asks, do you want me to do for you what? Well, just say yes, and then I will tell you, the child responds. Do whatever we ask of you, these two brothers said. And he said to them, what is it that you want me to do for you? Again, I would have loved to have been present for all this. I would have loved to have heard the tone in the conversation, seen the facial expressions, the postures of these conversation partners, the brothers and Jesus himself. You, you get the sense that he's kind of tolerating them. And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. That is, they asked him to make them their top two disciples. Forget the other ten, us, James and John, we faithful brothers. So that's a bad question. It's a request of Jesus that is problematic on so many levels. On one level, they're seeking to take the place of honor on the disciple team. It's like a, a teammate requesting of the coach to be made a captain, or a colleague jockeying for position at work, or more to the point, a child asking a parent to name them the favorite of all the children. So that's kind of on one level, but there's a deeper level at work here, even bigger problems for what these two ask of Jesus. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Jesus asked them if they are prepared to face what he will face. And though they have no idea what on earth he means, they readily say yes. Now, if you've been tracking Mark's gospel, Jesus has repeatedly been forecasting his death but these two, if not all 12 of them, if not this whole crowd that's following him, if not us, still don't understand. They will not understand until quite later, until the events of Holy Week begin to unfold. It all comes to a head. But in the meantime, in the meantime, their power grab is not met well. The other 10 are angry, and rightly so. Jesus senses this. He lays it all out for them. Why the question, why their request misses the mark. And what a better question might have been, an alternative question might have been. He tells them what they know already, that in the culture out there, there are rulers, there are leaders, both in religion and politics and commerce, that lord their power over their people. Their great ones are tyrants over them, Jesus says. But then listen to what comes next. But it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you 
must be the servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So here's what Jesus is saying to that question, dear James and dear John, not whether you could occupy the top spot on my org chart, but how can you, with humility, do just the opposite of that? How can you serve? How can you take what you are learning from me, experiencing with me, and live it out in a lifetime of service? How can what you call greatness become what I call greatness? A transformed life that works for the transformation of all. How can your leadership become synonymous with service rather than an unquenchable quest for power and prestige? Well, those were the questions then. I think there's still the questions now, whether it's in our economics or in our politics or certainly in the church. Now, I don't know about you, but every day these days I decide how deeply I will connect with the news of the day. I so badly want to know, I so badly need to know what is going on in the world so I can be a faithful citizen and an involved citizen. But at the same time, there are days when the news seems so overwhelmingly troubling that I want to bury my head and ignore it all. Perhaps you remember a short stretch of time this summer when that was certainly the case for me. Four people, four prominent people, in the space of just a few days, died in succession, inviting me at least to ask the question of what a servant leader might look like. Senator John McCain, whose distinguished life story in military and political service is well known, a self-described maverick. And Aretha Franklin, a different kind of leader to be sure, yet one who used her own particular and spectacular gift not only to entertain but to inspire and to advance in her way a conversation about race and racism in America. Or Kofi Annan, General Secretary of the United Nations, who reminded us in his calling of the importance of global connectivity including helping us think about Africa in an increasingly complex and fragmented world. And to a different extent, the playwright Iman using his cultural popularity, his gifts to entertain us and to place certain indelible images and themes in our consciousness, including that of the odd couple. Now, those four well-known people died within just a few days of each other. In fact, Aretha Franklin's funeral was on a Friday, John McCain's on a Saturday. I watched them both. Maybe you did as well. Stevie Wonder sang at Aretha's, Renee Fleming at Senator McCain's. I thought I'd love to have both of those people singing at my funeral. Plus Bruce Springsteen, of course plus the chancel choir, of course. (laughs) 
That'd be a pretty good funeral service, wouldn't it? And I thought of them, sadly and gratefully, those four, whose lives unfolded in very different ways, who were all clearly given gifts and used them. Not always perfectly to be sure, but fully. Not always selflessly to be sure, but enough so that they impacted us and their world in profound and transformative ways. Now, as I was processing all of this news, there was other news happening, of course, about leadership and service and power. At Ohio State, the football team I root for, a controversy was brewing about a former assistant coach, allegations of domestic violence, the role of the head coach and the athletic director, both men with great power, well compensated, what their response should have been. Now it seems trivial, college sports, but of course it's not. Millions and millions of dollars, millions of lives impacted. Some were calling for the dismissal of the coach and the athletic director. Others were calling for no punishment at all. In the end, mild suspensions were handed out. I'm not sure what was learned. And at the very same time, when all of that was happening, we were learning the deeply unsettling news of the Roman Catholic Church. Allegations of hundreds and hundreds of instances of sexual abuse and efforts to cover it up over years, over decades. A narrative that is still playing itself out even within the halls of the Vatican. Through it all, through the lives and deaths of well-known people, through scandal and controversy in sports and religion, do the voices of James and John echo in our heads? And their question and Jesus' response, what do we do with the power we have been given? People in high places and people in the places you and I occupy. How can our leadership look like leadership that serves rather than consumes and acquires? Now, I heard a lot of sermons growing up, and truth be told, I don't remember many of them, which is both refreshing and humbling, seeing it is that I do what I do. But I remember a sermon that my dad preached. I must have been seven or eight. Comparing Roberto Clemente, of all people, and Howard Hughes, again, of all people. Both given great gifts, both presented with tremendous opportunity. The billionaire Hughes acquired and acquired. Roberto Clemente, the great Puerto Rican and Pittsburgh pirate right fielder, lost his life in service to his people. I remember that sermon very gratefully. Now, I understand who you are and who I am and who we are not. We are not John McCain or Aretha Franklin or Kofi Annan or Neil Simon. We are not Howard Hughes or Roberto Clemente, but they are not us either. 
We are not James or John. Here is who we are. We are followers of Jesus, given a call, given gifts, given leadership opportunities, whether we know it or not, or believe it or not, even given power. And we are given choices. Our own versions of the question asked of Jesus so long ago, and the answer, even after 2,000 years, remains precisely the same. You are great when you serve. You lead when you serve with humility. You are first when you are last. Remember that. And your soul will be happy and healthy, and the world will be too. Amen. Amen.